Okay, tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 34. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand upon her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According then, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the, new, the news about him all over the region. While they were gone out, going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk, brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever, seen, ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It's by the prince of demons that he driven out demons. Amen. Thank you so much for reading that word for us. Someone reminded me that I go over time. We'll see how we go. Well, the passage tonight is again a demonstration of Jesus' power. And back in Matthew 8, we saw Jesus' power um, over bodily diseases, his power over the forces of nature when he stilled the waters. And we also see his power over the forces of evil when he cast out the demons. In Matthew 9, we saw that what is perhaps the most confronting for the religious leaders of the day, Jesus has power over sin, the power to forgive. And tonight we see what will possibly be declared the most amazing healing, raising someone from the dead. When we take all of this together, we should be left with no doubt about the power of Jesus. It seems all along that Matthew wants to point out that Jesus is the Messiah. He is sovereign, meaning he has power over all things, even death. And what we need to grasp from this passage is that there is nothing that can overcome Jesus. 
There is nothing that can stand in the way of him doing his work. And as we move through this passage, we'll also see that there's a lesson of faith in it as well. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that we can be in this place tonight. I thank you for those who have joined us online, Lord. I thank you for the worship team and the people up the back who've helped make, bring this service together. I thank you for those who are also on check-in and who will clean up when we go, Lord. But Father, we want to focus on you. We want to hear from you. And I just pray by your glory and your power, you'll reveal the truth of your word to us and that there'll be something that challenges each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that Jesus has just had a confrontation with some of the Jewish leaders and now one of them actually comes to Jesus. So first up, we're going to look at Jairus. Jairus's request and as is typical for Matthew he doesn't give as much detail he cuts right back to the bare basics because all he wants to do is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah and he gives us this abridged version and there's so much going on in this first verse but we miss all of it if we don't look at the accounts in the other gospels so as I alluded, alluded to before Jarius is a leader in the Jewish community and it's most likely that he was actually head of one of the synagogue boards. He's a man who would walk through the town, the community with his head held high. He would bow to no one and yet he comes into Jesus' presence and he bows to him. We believe Jesus is still in Matthew's house so there'd be all these sinners around Jesus at the time and that doesn't make any difference to Jairus at all. He comes in and he bows before Jesus. His bowing indicates that he knows a little about who Jesus is. And bowing before him is the appropriate action when coming into the presence of God or a king. So at the very least, Jairus has elevated Jesus to a position far above himself and he wants to honor Jesus in that position first and foremost and his request is urgent I think as a parent you'd understand that this is a terrible thing that he's come to Jesus about and we know from Luke and John that at this time his daughter was still alive and perhaps Jairus has come and he's desperate for Jesus to come while his daughter is still living so he can lay his hand upon her and heal her but Matthew sees all those details as unnecessary. But regardless, in each account, by the time Jesus arrives at the house, the girl is dead. And Jairus still believed that if Jesus came and laid his hand on his daughter, she would live again. And I find this incredible. Jairus has expressed such confidence, such faith, and such trust in the ability of Jesus to heal. And in reality, to raise his daughter from the dead. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus has not raised anyone from the dead at this stage. So Jairus has come in without being able to say that he has witnessed or heard about uh, an account of Jesus raising from the dead. There's certainly been many healings which have been miraculous and people have been overawed by them. But Jesus has never done anything like this. In Scripture, there are minimal accounts of people being raised from the dead. We know Elijah and Elisha actually did a couple, but no one else. And yet Jairus wants Jesus to come and heal his daughter. 
It's an urgent request. And Jesus responds. He gets up from the table and he goes to follow Jairus. And along with his disciples... And I think there would have been a few other people come along as well. And I think when we hear about the Pharisees at the end of the story, I think they were some of the ones that followed along to see what Jesus would actually do. But on the way, this urgent call, this need to get to the house, this need to have my daughter healed, Jesus seems to get distracted momentarily. He pauses for another needy person. And this person is that woman who was subject to bleeding. And we don't pick up on this tension that must have been part of this account. Again, because Matthew just slots everything down to the bare basics. In Mark and Luke's account, you know, the daughter here is near death. She hasn't actually passed at this stage. And Jesus stops to find out who it was who touched him. Again, we don't get that in the Matthew account, but we do get it in Mark and Luke. Where Jesus stops and says, who it is that touches, touched me in this great crowd of people? And we don't know who this woman is. She isn't named. But this woman is suffering physically and mentally. She's been in the hands of the doctors for 12 years and none of them have been able to help her. And again, the detail in Mark and Luke says, in Mark's account, it seems like he's almost blaming the physicians for some of the conditions that she's in. And he's saying that, you know, they weren't able to heal her and yet they've taken all her money. She's broke. Luke doesn't seem to come across as harshly. He agrees that the physicians have actually taken her money. And, but he seems to indicate the reason why she wasn't healed is because she can't be healed by anyone. They are his words. Her condition's incurable at that particular time. And I want you to think about the life that this woman has lived for the last 12 years. Because she is bleeding, she's ceremonially unclean. Because she is unclean like that, she can't go to the temple. She can't worship God. She can't walk amongst crowds. If any people come over to her house, they are unclean. They have a ritual to go through, a process to go through, to cleanse themselves and they'll be unclean until the evening. And so she wouldn't get too many people visit her. And this hasn't been a lockdown for a week or two. This has been 12 years of her life. How many friends would she have? How many people would have stood by her for that length of time? With all the suspicion and everything that was around at that time as well, they possibly wouldn't want to have associated with her. We don't know what she knows about Jesus, but somehow she comes to believe. Even if I can just touch the fringe of his garment. I'll be well. And so this woman who can't be amongst crowds suddenly finds herself in this crowd that is pressing around Jesus, heading to Jairus' house. And she reaches out and she touches what is called the fringe of Jesus' garments. And there's a little interpretation issue there. This is actually a tassel. And the tassel are the tassels that hang off the undershirts of all Jewish men. And they're tassels that remind them to pray and remind them to focus on Jesus. And we don't know why she reached out for that. 
But what we do know is this woman wouldn't have been bold enough to stand in front of Jesus. She wouldn't have been bold enough to present her case considering her situation. And the crowd that is with him moving away and she thinks if she can just touch his garment, she'll be healed. And she'll be able to just do that and then she'll be able to sneak away and no one will know any better. She can remain in secret. But as we're told in Mark and Luke, Jesus senses this power going from him and he turns and he asks who it was that touched him. And seeing her, he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And this is the lesson for all of us. It would seem that Jesus had a more important call in going to Jairus's daughter, who was close to death. But Jesus takes the time to be with this woman. He takes the time to seek her out. He takes the time to look her dead in the face and to encourage her and strengthen her and build her up. She was an unnamed person, and she is an unnamed person in Scripture, but she wasn't unnamed to Jesus. Jesus knew her, and he wanted to encourage her. He gives her his undivided attention. She wasn't just a number. She wasn't lost in the crowd. Jesus gives all of himself to her and he gives all of himself to each and every one of us. And he did that for this woman at this time. And he says, take heart, daughter. And again, Jesus wants to encourage her. He calls her to take heart and his insistence in knowing who touched him is to help her as well. Because part of the community and the society at that time was the fact that they had to prove that they were healed. And this woman, how would she prove that Jesus healed her? And so Jesus calls her out. But he does so in the most gracious way. He's eyeballing her. He says, be encouraged. It's like, don't fear. Take heart. This is okay. And he calls her daughter. And this is a term of a friendly greeting, which was very common in those times. And Jesus is saying, there's nothing to fear here. This is okay. And she tells Jesus in the Mark and Luke accounts all that had happened to her. And Jesus saying, your faith has made you well. Indicates to everyone that she has been healed. And so she can be accepted back into her community first and foremost. She can go to the temple. She can do what she hasn't been able to do for 12 years. Your faith has made you well. And both the woman and those looking on needed to understand that she has been healed. And we also need to know that there was no magic, no talisman in the touch. The touch had nothing to do with it. She had faith that Jesus was able to heal her. It wasn't her faith that healed her. But it was her trusting that Jesus could do it. And Jesus doing it which healed her. It was a work of Jesus. He alone healed her. And while Jesus is doing this, Mark and Luke tells us, the Jairus servants come along and they say to Jairus, your daughter has died. Stop troubling the teacher. But Jesus turns to him and says, don't fear, just believe. And so we move on to the story of Jairus's daughter being raised. And I'm not sure how Jairus 
would have reacted to Jesus taking time out for this woman. I, I wouldn't have been calm myself. I would have been grabbing Jesus' robe as well and dragging him along to come to my daughter who so desperately needed him. But we don't have anything in any of the accounts that indicate Jairus did that. But Jairus' daughter was gravely ill when Jesus stopped to spend time with this woman. But then Jesus comes to this house and uh, he, he gets to this house. And when Jesus comes to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He said, go away for the girl is not dead, but she is sleeping. And they laughed at him. And when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. Now, when Jesus arrives at this house, there'd be quite a commotion. And we don't understand this really, but in the Jewish Mishnah, it says that even the poorest family must hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman for a funeral. Jairus was very wealthy, so Jairus would have hired a lot more than that. There would have been a lot more people than that. And as these people do their profession, which is wailing for funerals and playing their flute, this noise would have escalated, and as the family and friends arrived, they would have joined in this wailing as well. It wasn't a quiet thing. And Jesus comes into the midst of this noise. And I'm not sure how Jesus got their attention or how he spoke loud enough for them to hear, but he managed to do that. And he says to them, you know what? You just need to go away. I personally think he would have raised his voice at that time. But regardless, he tells them to go. And the reason he tells them to go is because Jesus knew he was going to raise this girl back to life. But there's another reason as well. I think in the middle of this is a little bit of God's grace, a little bit of Jesus' grace. Could you imagine what it would be like to be raised in the middle of your own funeral? How traumatic would that be for a child? Oh, what are all these people doing, Mum and Dad? Oh, actually, they're singing about you being dead. And so I think Jesus in the middle of this is actually doing something for this little girl as well. And Jesus says, she's not dead. She, she's just sleeping. And his intention is not to say that she hasn't really died. What he's saying is this situation is only temporary. I know what's going to happen. I, I'm going to raise her. But they laughed at him, at him. And they laughed because they had no idea who Jesus was. They had no idea about the authority that he possessed. There is a crowd indicating that there's many people And they believed that Jesus was a fool. He hadn't seen the girl. And many of them had. And they knew she was dead. And still Jesus had his way. And somehow these people are removed. They're, they're sent away. And he goes to the girl. And he merely takes her hand. And she is raised. Immediately. There's no effort on Jesus' part. It was Jesus' will to raise her. And so she was. Could you imagine what happened to the crowd when they heard about this? Could you imagine just how gobsmacked they'd be? I'm not sure they apologised for laughing at Jesus. But I think there would have been some who suddenly feared Jesus because they wouldn't have understood what was going on. They wouldn't understand how this could possibly be. There'd be some who were 
amazed. Some who would join the joy and celebration of the family at that time that their daughter who they thought was gone was now with them once more. And we know that the story is recounted over and over again in that district. And so Jesus moves on. And as he moves on, he comes across these two blind men. And Jesus is on his way to a house, that's what we're told. And we can only assume it was the house that he was staying in at the time. And these two blind men who follow him, they're calling out to him. They keep crying, have mercy on us, son of David. And what does Jesus do? He keeps walking. I I don't understand it. I don't understand what's going on. But Jesus keeps walking. It's like he seems to ignore them. He doesn't seem to do anything for them at that time. But as he enters the house, these blind men enter the house with him. And they come into him. And Jesus says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And these guys say, yes, Lord. This healing seems to be different to the others. The men come into the house where Jesus is. It's much more private than the other healings that have occurred. And it's more intimate. It's just them talking with Jesus. And we've seen Matthew stress the importance of faith in both the woman and Jairus. And now the focus is fully on Jesus. He asks these men, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they call Jesus the son of David. It seems that somehow they've had it revealed to them that Jesus is more than a mere prophet. Then they reply, yes, Lord. And then Jesus touches their eyes and they're healed. Then there's one more healing in this set that we're looking at tonight. It's this demon oppressed man. This is the only healing which is attributed, oh, sorry, the only healing where the person being healed, their condition is attributed to an evil spirit. And again, Matthew is demonstrating Jesus' authority over them as well. And as they're going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled. They're marveling at all the things that Jesus has done. Never. Has anything like this been seen in Israel? And we see the evil spirit in this case manifesting itself by preventing this man from talking. His friends bring him in. He doesn't come on his own. We don't know why these friends brought him in. And it seems this is straight after Jesus has healed the blind man. So perhaps they've seen some of the stuff that Jesus did and they thought, well, we'll bring our mate and we'll just see what Jesus does with him. And they come and help their friend in this case. And Matthew again minimizes the story and simply informs us that as soon as the demon was cast out, the man began to speak. And again, it was effortless for Jesus. There was no struggle. And it indicates the authority that Jesus has in all things. And there's something here that is vastly different in the account from all the other accounts that we've heard tonight. This man did not have faith. The healing was totally dependent upon the grace and favour of Jesus. Each of these healings are the same. Even when the people express faith, it's not their faith that heals, but it's Jesus who heals. Jesus heals in response to their faith. It's no wonder that the crowds proclaim that they've never seen anything like this before. And yet we have some other people on the sidelines. And they see, and yet they're blind. And I'm constantly amazed 
at the hardness of heart expressed by so many of the Pharisees. And in this case, the Pharisees say, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And there's a saying that is apt, very apt actually in this case. There is none so blind as he who will not see. And these Pharisees, these Pharisees are supposedly teaching the Jewish nation, all of Israel, about the promised Messiah. They're supposedly pouring over the scrolls constantly, looking for the signs that the Messiah was coming. And they ignore all the good that Jesus has done and continues to do. They overlook his compassion, they overlook his gentleness, his kindness and his love. And in their jealousy, they acknowledge that Jesus is doing incredible things, but they won't acknowledge that it is of God. They say that it is a work of the devil. And it's so hard to fathom. How could they possibly say something like that? They've seen the effects of the devil. Everywhere he has control, there is misery, there is madness, there is brokenness, there is pain. And in Jesus' wake... Even on this one day, there's joy, there's celebration, there's light and there's love. It's totally incompatible. And yet they attribute this incredible work of Jesus, all that he is doing, is they attribute it to the devil. They make that absurd statement because the only other option they have is to acknowledge that Jesus is from God. That Jesus is Lord. And they are not going to do that. They envy Jesus. They envy his power. They envy his effect on the crowds. They envy his ability to draw people. And they envy the miracles that he performs. And this is the first open expression of hostility of the Pharisees against Jesus. And we know that it just escalates from this point. These guys have blasphemed against Holy Spirit. And this just escalates. They've set themselves on a course. And that ends at the cross. And it's not in a good way. There are many things to think about here in this passage of Scripture. And Matthew's primary objective is for us to understand who Jesus is. He wants us to understand the way that Jesus works. He wants us to understand that when we come to Jesus in faith and we pray to him that it is the work of Jesus which brings about all the things in our life. He wants us to know Jesus is the Messiah. I want you to think about Jairus and how he came to Jesus And he was, again, a man who had much influence. He was a man who would have had people really honoring him. And yet he comes to Jesus and he bows in submission to who Jesus is. He may not have fully understood at that time who he was, but he knew that Jesus was a mighty man. And to an extent, he possibly knew Jesus was connected with God. I don't know, maybe he did know Jesus was Messiah. And so our first point must be that we must humble ourselves. We must come to Jesus and we must be willing to bow to him. If we want Jesus to work in our life, it starts with that humility. It starts with that brokenness. It starts with that willingness to say, Jesus, I've messed up. 
And I need you. You need to transform me. You need to change me. I think about the raising of Jairus' daughter. I don't know what would have happened in that household after that, but she's been given life afresh, life in you. And I can't help but think about the fact the same power that raised her from the dead is the power that raises us to new life in Christ. And we seem to be so weak. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that allowed those disciples to go from weakness to boldness. To go from not even being able to acknowledge they were a friend of Jesus to boldly proclaiming the gospel message and thousands of people coming into faith as a result. It's the same power that you have. Holy Spirit indwelling you, empowering and equipping you for every good work that God has planned for you. I think about how Jesus was focused on Jairus and heading to heal his daughter. But then there was this woman who had a need. And even though Jesus had an important appointment, he took the time not only to heal her, but to assure her that she was accepted and that she was loved. Have you ever been in that situation where you think that God's not listening to you? That he doesn't really love you? That he doesn't care what happens to you? I think you can look at this story and you can see that Jesus has the time for everyone. He gives himself fully to each one of us. And he is always available, always ready to be there for us. God is never too busy for you. You may feel like this lady where you don't fit in, where you haven't had fellowship for a long time. And Jesus is standing waiting for you. He's saying, be encouraged. I love you. I accept you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I want you to be part of my family. And I want you to also think about the fact that she was afraid. She wasn't sure what was going to happen when she went to Jesus. She couldn't stand face to face with him. She just wanted to touch the edge of his robe. If you're afraid... You can come to Jesus. He's waiting. He'll lift your head. He'll tell you to be encouraged. And you'll sense his love and his presence and his power washing over you. I want you to think about the two blind men. It seems at first that Jesus is not going to do anything for him. And they call out to him and continue to call out to him. But Jesus keeps on walking. Ever think that Jesus is not paying attention to you, not answering your prayers, not hearing you? Can I encourage you? Don't give up. Jesus has heard your prayer and he's answered your prayer. It's just not going to be answered right now. And we can trust Jesus in that. If you endure, if you persevere, the rewards are going to be immense. Do you think these guys were abundantly blessed? They'd tell you they were, and they wouldn't stop telling you about it. We heard that they just spread the news about him everywhere. I want you to think about this mute man. This mute man had no faith of his own, and we don't know too much about his friends. We don't know whether they had a faith either, but they brought him to Jesus. 
And it's incredible when you look through Scripture how many times that those who had an encounter with Jesus were brought to Jesus by their friends. And I think that gives a mandate for us that we have this responsibility to bring our friends to Jesus. So can I just encourage you to do that? And remember, Jesus has power over all things. With that in mind, I want you to think about who it is that we worship. Jesus is all-powerful and all-knowing. Think of what we've heard about tonight. Jesus healed people who are incurable. And I can testify to the miracles that I've seen Jesus do in people's lives. Jesus raises people from the dead. He's able to make the blind see. He's able to cast out demons. There's nothing that is not possible for him. And we need to believe that. And Matthew wants us to know that we can come to Jesus no matter what our problem or our situation. Our faith is important, but most important is the object of that faith. And that should be Jesus. And so this is a call for us to recenter our lives, to bring Jesus back to what matters, to focus on him, to make him the center of our life. And to think through everything that we do with Jesus in mind. Make it a habit when you make decisions that you pray about it first. And that when you say you're going to do something, you say, this is what's going to happen, Lord willing. Because if we're living for him, we should want to be within his will and purpose all the time. Let me just pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the love, grace, glory that you pour out upon us so freely. I thank you, Lord, that you do so many incredible things. But Lord, I pray there will be a people who don't look at the gifts, who don't look at the miracles, but we'll look at the gift giver and the miracle maker. That, Father, our hearts will be close to you. And that, Lord, our desire will be to want to honour and glorify you each and every day of our lives. And that we will be found doing that. You are a good father. And Lord, I just pray that you'll give each of us that desire to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing our final song.